Bull releases Moana Mataeli. Slips away from Evans, got too close to that. Oh, First, I want to say hi to all the listeners out there and uh, welcome to our rugby podcast, The Counter Rugby. Now, there's been no rugby played, um, basically with the coronavirus wreaking havoc on the rugby season. But I know a lot of listeners out there, um, they need their rugby fix. So I've got a few of the boys together to do um, a mid-season review uh, to sort of scratch that rugby itch as part of the, um, the 135 podcast series. And we're also um, available through, you know, the normal social media platform. So uh, give us a like and uh, give us a follow. Um, guess with all that, uh, you know, stuff out the way, uh, let me introduce the boys. Um, now, we're all firstly, I will say also we're being responsible at the 135 and we're recording this podcast via Skype. So everyone's inside their own bubbles. So firstly, we will have uh, Joey all the way from um, Hamilton. Welcome, Joey. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, good to see you. And um, also, I've got a, a Chiefs fan from Auckland, uh, Rog. Rog, welcome to the uh, the pod. Good to see you, Rog. No worries. Pretty sure you failed to see that um, Joey's a Chiefs fan too. He's living in H Town. Maybe confirmation of that later on. Maybe he'll decide. I don't know whether he's sitting on the fence, living down in H Town, or. <laughs> Whether he has other things up his sleeves or it's just a facade, it's just a facade. Let me down the shot, is it? I think after the season the Blues are having, I think he's uh, on our side now for sure. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so, okay, boys. So, um, for this mid-season review, I thought we'd start with the, uh, you know, the New Zealand Conference first thing. We're all um, New Zealand-based, based guys. So, I'll give you um, a quick rundown of the conference firstly, just so you know where we're at. So, we've played seven rounds. And in first place, we've got the Crusaders on 23 points. Then second, we've got the, the Mighty Blues. Oh, right. The massive smile that came out. The mighty, came mighty second, Blues. Right. <laughs> I've never Amazing. seen the white pillars that big. Crikey, <laughs> man. Yeah. <laughs> in third, we've got uh, the Chiefs. Fourth place, the Hurricanes on 17 points. And then fifth, the Highlanders who are struggling on seven points. So I thought we'll start on the top of the North Island and, uh, you know, work our way down. So we'll start with the my team first, the Blues. And Joey, I'll come to you first, seeing you're a diehard Blues supporter like myself. Joey, so what have you made so far of the Blues season? Diehard Blues supporter? I won't dispute that. Yeah, well, it's been quite nice. 
um, so far, the results that the Blues have been able to to bring. Quite nice to see that they had a really good preseason as well, apart from their one glitch to the Chiefs. Oh, sorry, they've beat the Chiefs, as they always do, in the preseason, then lose the first round, as they always do. But it looks like uh, we're on a steady run to the title. I think uh, it is pretty early days to say that, but we're always hopeful as Blues fans, as, as we always have been, and the loyal ones, are, you know, like myself, will remain quietly hopeful, even though the Chiefs always give it to us when they, when they beat us especially when they beat us at the uh, the Garden of Eden. But, yeah, it's looking quite nice. It's good to see a good mix of uh, young and old on the team. Older guys actually stepping up and leading the team well, especially in those moments in games where the going is getting tough and they just need leadership from up front. So it's good to see the forward pack actually getting some jelling and getting some good go forward and momentum for the backs to have a nice platform to work off and, and score some tries that we've um, been missing over the years. Yep, yep. It's, it's good you say that because I know we have been missing that over the years, and I know the Blues have sort of been the butt of a, a lot of jokes in recent years, and, Roger, you've been telling a lot of jokes at the Blues' expense. So, Roger, you know, from uh, outside of what are, your, what are your thoughts on the Blues so far this, this season? In my defence, I like to say they weren't jokes. Uh, they're just reality jokes, you know? <laughs> just to little gems that you just place in and around the blue supporters, you know, especially when they get a bit ahead of themselves and start saying right from the beginning of the get-go, even at pre-season, like Joey mentioned, that this is our year. You know, those kind of one-liners, a bit like a Commander movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, but then by the end of it, we all know it's hasta la vista by mid-season. Hey, unfortunately, we never got to mid-season. In saying that, the Blues have had a great run before the lockdown and before uh, play got suspended. But just taking it back, because it's it's interesting how Blues fans like yourselves, avid supporters, are always upbeat about your team's chances. However, if we look back at the last five seasons, we'll just go back five seasons, the Blues have never been in the running at all come season's end. In fact, all four other New Zealand teams have ranked above them in the last five seasons. If we go back even the last 10 seasons, Stace, right back to 2010, there's only three times, there's only three times that the Blues have ranked higher than the Highlanders in the last 10 seasons. Oh. In fact, and, and, and the Highlanders have actually placed seven times out of 10 higher than the Blues come season's end. So again, like I said at the beginning, Perennial salad dwellers. I don't say that lightly, but it's more a reality check. Just to let you know, despite them doing really well in this first seven weeks, in a friendly reminder also, they had one game more than everyone else. So it's put their standing even more so coming seconds. I can see why you're such a glum person this morning. I mean, chum, <laughs> sorry, sorry, not glum chum, about um, them placing second before the lockdown and before play was suspended. But at the same time, I digress, they have had a great run before play was suspended. And it's good to see them put some of those results up for their supporters, but let alone for, I guess, the betterment of New Zealand rugby. And I guess when the Blues do... Because I've always had a great list of players, a great squad, but just never really fulfilled that potential. Hopefully, if season does sort of resume, they're able to keep on uh, putting up some good results. But who's to know what could happen? Yeah, so good 
good point there. And Roger, you're a little bit late, and I know you went. You're late because you wanted to find those stits on the Highlanders <laughs> being above the Blues. That's why you were. That's why you were late. You just to get that last extra stit. That last extra stit. No, that's a. You're, that's a very good point to you raise there. But you know, we're not looking at the past. We're only focusing on 2020 for this oh, podcast. Oh, oh, oh. Just, just so, so put I can, into perspective. Nah, nah. You know, put things into perspective. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'll admit, you know, and Joey will probably attest to this as well, that as a Blue supporter, the last five, seven, eight years has been pretty, pretty tough follow. But this year, this year at least, um, you know, I've been pretty happy with the Blues and how they've been going, I'll say that. So the coronavirus, obviously that's affected a lot of things, but I mean, we are just on our way to winning the title and then got, yeah. got hijacked. It's, it's the same tune you've been saying, mate, we're on the way to winning the title since <laughs> 2004. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time between drinks, and I mean, you know, I thought Joey raised some really good points about the mix that we got. There's a couple of new kids that have come through. Uh, Mark Talia is one on the on the wing who's um, I'd never even heard of the guy before. He's a, a North Harbour guy, and he's he's um, he's made that position his own. I think he was probably wasn't the, the first choice left wing before the season started when they had Caleb Clark there and um, Tanielu Talia and a couple of others. But now he's made himself uh, undroppable. Um, also, um, Hoskins, the tutu at number eight, um, when Joey's touching on some of the young kids, he's a guy who, I don't know if it's too early for him, but with Kieran Reed out, I think he could have potentially bolted his way into the All Blacks. Oh, that's my biased opinion, but, you know, it'd be interesting to hear you guys take on some of these young kids. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree. Just on Hoskins... Anyone that can put a guy like a class player like Rico Ioane on the bench, you know, that gets my attention straight away. But also because I've been a fan of Rico Ioane for a few years now, but he has been inconsistent throughout his career. Um, you mean Akira, Joey? You mean Akira? Sorry, Rico? not Rico. Uh, Akira, yes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the uh, correction. So no, um, Akira, Akira needs – he needs someone like Hoskins to push him to want more for himself in that jersey because unless he's getting that fear instilled into him and and knowing week in, week out that he's, you know, not got a mortgage on the jersey, the number eight jersey, then, you know, he's just going to keep being inconsistent. So I, I think this will light a spark in Akira uh, for the rest of his career before, you know, maybe even going offshore or whatever. I think this will light a spark in Akira to either do one or two things. Be that great guy and fulfill that potential that we all see or succumb to being the also-ran who didn't get much game time because Hoskins, Satutu, has made a name for himself and created his own legacy in the number eight jersey for the Blues. So, yeah, could go one or two ways for Akira. Um, Hoskins is looking awesome. I do think he will be, be a bolter. But I think he needs a few more games on his belt before, you know, the All Blacks management get him in there. Do you yeah, suggest he'd be a bolter for this season uh, or seasons ahead? If there's there's November tests still, isn't there? Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think that'll be his best shot this year is November tests. But so is Super Rugby can for the rest of the season, or is, is there a chance that it might play again? I know that they were talking about. Just running it domestically with the the New Zealand franchises playing each other and the rest of the world sorting out their own sort of That's thing right. as a possibility, but at this stage, you know who knows. As the diehard fans are just like, 
yeah, we'll take whatever we can get. So if they can do that, just have the local. I mean, the Blues are in second place. So I think that we could we could win a lot of those games anyway. But mm. it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Um, we've had we've had a we've had a late guest here, Isaiah. He's just jumped on. I know he wanted to miss the Blues review because he doesn't want to give credit to where credit's due to this Blues team, uh, being a <laughs> being a Chiefs guy. So Eyes, um I'll get you to jump in. What, what are your what have your initial thoughts of, of the Blues been so far this year? Oh man, no, no. I'm just I'm just listening to them boys. I was just um, I just wanted to jump in and and. Um just sit on the back and uh, uh, you know be like an audience at the moment. You know, have your live audience. So I'm just I'm just enjoying what I'm listening to, boys. So I mean, you know, you already know my opinion of the blues. So you don't really need my five no, do you, I don't know what your opinion is about the blues. I think I think if anyone's listened to the Soliola Cups and you know anything about rugby, you know, I always find an opportunity to take a swipe at the blues. So yeah, no, nah, no, nah, um, you you guys keep going. I'm just gonna be. Over here doing my barbecue and listening to you boys, so. <laughs> oh, nice. You know, what? one thing I'll say about the Blues, so they started off, um, they, they ended up with 5-2 and two record before it, before it finished off. And I think they lost two of their first three games. And they were sort of shuffling with um, Harry Plummer and um, Peter Fetter at 10. And it sort mm-hmm. of wasn't working out, but they ended up winning the, the last four games once um, or Teddy Black. He moved into first five, so I think that stability that he brings, you know, I think that's really helped the Blues out compared to some of the other guys who are a bit, it's going to be a bit hit and miss, a bit hot and cold. So what are you guys' thoughts on that part? Yeah, the interesting thing for me would have been had uh, play continued as per normal, where Bowden Barrett would have fitted in and where Otero Black and the Perifetas, whether they persist with Perifeta at the back at 15 and whether Otero takes a back seat despite him having played some pretty good rugby and guiding the team, you know, as well as as he has thus far, where an addition of uh, Bowden Barrett will be a disruption or whether, whether it will be a good addition to enhance what Otere and Perufeta have really built for the team. So in a sense, where they've struggled to have consistently good tens um, at the Blues, they've got three that can that are quite um, versatile in playing first five, sometimes second five through to the fullback role. So mm. I think they're in a bit of uh, some riches there, and then obviously with Plummer as well in the in the backdrop. Yeah, no, there was I think the Blues for the rest of the season if they get a chance to play the rest of the season, it's obvious that when they get the ball to the likes of Mark Tillier, he does some great things. He either gives him some extra momentum and go forward, or he scores tries. Like that game against uh, the Waratahs, he scored a hat-trick too late in the game and one in the first half. You know, when they create space out wide for guys like him to just do their thing, the Blues can, you know, they can do some damage to some pretty quality sides. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, like what you touched on, some really, um, really good points there with um if you look at the Blues in the early seasons, they were basically the best team in Super Rugby. And the three titles they won and the four finals that they made was all with Carlos Spencer playing first five. And mm. after he left, I mean, they had a lot of um, journeymen and they've sort of been in the wilderness since then, since 2003. Um, and I think with the signing of Bowdoin Barrett, they sort of saw him as some sort of, I guess, sort of a saviour to help the Blues get past that, you know, get out of their lull and be the team that they used to be by having a, another top-level first five. But with the way Otiri Black's been going, it would have been interesting how he would have fit into the team. 
I think we probably would have got far with, without him, but you know, now he's here, I think that would have just taken us over the top. But it's just mm-hmm. good to see how opinion. he. It's good to see how he would he could shine eventually, you know, finally because unfortunately for him he had a bad run of injuries in the initial years when he was signed with the Blues, and it was almost like he was trying to get away from Burton Barrett's shadow down at the Hurricanes, and then when he finally is able to, you know, make a good start at the beginning, very beginning of the season. Obviously, Burton Barrett was um, contracted to them from the end of last year, so he had. Nothing to lose, but everything to gain in terms of trying to prove his wear as to why he initially did come to the Blues in the first. Because he only came, he had only had, um, I think he was a under twenties player at the time when he when he first came onto the scene. He, you know, he had some massive raps and coming. And going back to that Carlos Spencer point, I think people underestimate the value and the worth of Carlos Spencer, despite there being a lull of lack of championships in between 97 and 2003, whereas Carlos Spencer was the first five for all three of those championships, 96, 97 and 2003. So, yeah, really important to make a mention of that because they had some good first fives that came in, but for the, the other point was that they all came from outside, you know, the Stephen Pritz, the Tashisa Lavera. Jimmy you know. And it's a shame because... Through club rugby, there was always some decent first fives that, that probably didn't get a, a good shot or a good show or, you know, for one reason or another, Auckland rugby didn't see them um, fit enough to fit the, the bill through Auckland and eventually mm. the Blues. Yeah, so um, I just got a few stats for the boys. So the Blues this year, they were third in clean breaks, first for defenders beaten. And first in rucks one, so the attack was working really well. But defensively, that's where they've made the most ground. So they're 19.1 points per game. That's how many they're conceding. That's the best since 2011 when they finished fourth, which is the last time that we made the playoffs. Oh, the Blues made the playoffs. I won't say we. And their tackle percentage of 86.1%. That's the third best defence. And that's sort of where the the uh, improvements have come. So um, I suppose before we move on to the the next subject, but do you guys, who, who's been the standout player for you guys in... Um, you know, any last words before we move on to move further down into uh, Roger, Roger can have a moment to shine? It's a tough one, actually, because um, for me, I can't think of any standouts. I can't think of anyone that has dominated any games so much that they stood out or scored amazing tries other than Mark Talia, maybe. You know, mm. but he has been starved of the ball, I think. I think they've underutilized them and they need to work to that strength. Get the forwards to create the space by just sucking in as many of their forwards and some backs as possible. You can get it out wide to Mark. Just on that, you know, they've, they've been playing Rico Yuani at, at center. So, so where do you think he fits in? Because he's a strong runner, but his distribution is probably isn't as good as some of the other midfielders around. So maybe that's part of the reason why Talia's not getting the ball. He's, his passing game isn't as good as, as his running game, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it, I think with Rico, it comes down to, okay, sure, he's wearing a number 13 jersey, but what comes second nature to him when he gets the ball in his hands? It's to run. Yeah. It's yeah. to pin his ears back and run. It's not distributing. He's not a distributor. He's the finisher. And they need to realise that, okay, Sure, he's a good player at centre to a level, but they need someone there who is an actual distributor, someone who is a thinker. Not to say that Rico is not a thinker, but they need someone who's going to get the ball out to someone who's going to finish the bloody move off. 
And that's what Rico is. He's a finisher. Roger, what, what about you? Who stood up for you and, and the Blues this year? And um, what are your final thoughts before we move on? I'll let you. I think hands down, hands down is uh, a standout for the Blues would be purely on stats, on tries, uh, running metres, defenders beaten would be much Yeah. And enough for me to say, you know, could this guy be a potential bolter if the season carries on or whether there is a, an eventual test side named Test status, I'm not too sure, but with the introduction of uh, AB's 15, All Blacks 15, mm-hmm. that's where someone like a Mark Taleta or even uh, guys from the Chiefs, uh, like a Gus Peter Takula, uh, for him, them to get locked into the New Zealand system, more so through that because they've never, they haven't represented Samoa, let alone South Africa mm-hmm. in, in um, Taleta's case, or even Fiji for. That's so cool. That um, AB's 15 team is going to be problematic with a lot of fringe players, I believe, and players that could potentially be available for uh, Pacific Island teams. But then even going further afield to the winger, Kobus uh, Van Wyk from the Hurricanes. He hasn't represented South Africa other than in uh, 20s Colts mm-hmm. rugby. And whether he's someone that they could look at and lock him in as well for New Zealand in South Africa will lose out on someone of that stature. Obviously, he was he's, he's in his late 20s, almost 30. He hasn't been considered for the Springboks before, but yeah, I, I think that AB15 could be appealing to any young or even any late uh, bloomer in, in, in a rugby team because having that as a on your CV is still good recognition for your mm. yeah for playing your trade and then going overseas. And, but um, yeah, coming back, Mark Tillera for sure. Coming, yeah. He's pretty much uh, he's played a few seasons at North Harbour since 2016 and come out of Messi Club, Messi High School. So he'd be a bolter for me. And if, if um, the All Blacks do go ahead, but at least AB's 15. Not just his running style, but um, I mean, not just his appearance, but his running style reminds me of a young Mark Ama. Mm. I could even go through and say, well, he looks like Mark Ama. <laughs> Sailor, good old Sailor. The Dell. That guy's still running around too. Mark Umwell's still running around for Ponies uh, Reserves. Yeah. I think it's um he can't let up the, the, the old bull in him doesn't want the young ones to let up let it, you know show him up. I yeah. think that's what keeps him going back. Yeah. <laughs> Tana Tana Vili, former Minister Moore Fest five slash fullback was um been sharing a lot of old posts, uh, old team sheets, as well as yeah, I've seen that old, old Manusam more photos and Mark Amma. I didn't realize Mark Amma was in the mix there with the sevens once upon a yeah. time for Samoa. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Some like early two thousands. Yeah, and a young Luke Mialamu running around there. It goes to show back in um, the late nineties, AJOE and early two, up until the early two thousands, even to the mid. The late 2000s, where there was a lot of international Pacific Islanders, at least, and then the odd All Black uh, running around at club rugby. Oh, but, totally. Um, and that's that's that was the landscape back then, and obviously yeah. it's changed with the advent of professional rugby. That's what got you know everyone excited mm. to to play club footy, to yeah. be able to rub shoulders and you know drop shoulders into these players that have you know come down from. NPC Super Rugby and All Blacks level. So, 
it's it's nice to see that the the Blues as a franchise have taken it upon themselves to engage the Blues fan community by bringing up these little games like uh, who's the all-time best 15s team for the Blues. They've just done one for the front row, which is pretty interesting to see everyone's perspectives, even um, people who played the game to that level have have um, pitched also, in. They're, with doing, their, a, with they're doing a version for the Blues, because I've seen the All Blacks version. Yeah, they're, they're doing the Blues one. They're doing a Blues yeah. one at the moment, and uh, there's a lot of different opinions on who should be the all-time greatest number one, two, and three, you know. Um, and it's, it's good to see because it gets mm. everyone talking, gets everyone buzzing. Yeah, you know, one of the things is like when you they do those all-time great Blues teams is you'll see a lot of players from that start, 96, 97, 98, right through, but you won't see much of the, the, the late guys mm. just because of the seasons we've had. But I think this year, was a year we were going to turn a corner. And I think, you know, if they redid it in a couple of years' time, we would see more of the, the current players, which we don't, we, we probably won't see at the moment. So that's what I think I was really happy about with the Blues. But I agree with what you guys are saying about Mark Tillier. To me, he was probably the stand-up player. And Hoskins, the two-two is another one. So it's good to see the young kids have mm-hmm. really stepped up. And that bodes well for the future, future of the Blues, at least anyway, going forward. If we don't have anything else to add to, to the Blues, we'll carry on. We'll move a little bit further south to your I think just, neck just of the woods. Like, uh, yep. Just with um, what Joey was saying with Akira, it's good that there's um, someone, uh, good Hoskins, Satutu's pushing him for that, that position. But at the same time, I think it gives it probably puts things in a little bit of perspective for Akira. How it was almost like it was a given that he would be the number eight or number six or wherever they decide to put him in the Lucy's. But mm. he's... Because we know, we, everybody knows he's a talented player. Everyone knows that. There's no doubt. And a lot of teams around the world would love to have an Akira Yuwane. But I think the issues around Akira is, is whether he's maybe getting a bit too complacent where he does believe that he has a he has a, he has a right to that jersey regardless of what he does on and off the field. Eh? But uh, I think um, there are, like anyone, are going to be sort of... Um, parts of the game that probably not everybody agrees with and Akira is mm. one of those players that you could either really enjoy him for being on your team but at the same time it's like oh you, you wouldn't necessarily expect uh, for what he does sometimes his mannerisms or the way he reacts to other players or and then sometimes how they feed off each other him and his brother Rico sometimes you know that, those kinds of sort of mannerism that behavior on the field after a try or after a late tackle um a lot of people that's where he gets offside with a lot of people in the mainstream media at least and and i think it could be to his detriment as well those little uh, and, he, and he's probably given his a lot of time in the media where he they do mention that he's been spoken to by all black management or to pull his head in or to do this tweak his game in order to better his chances and the higher honours. So whatever is happening behind the scenes, obviously, other than, you know, keep uh, maintaining his hair and his beard, keeping that all sort of in line. <laughs> Thank you. He's, he, he's a, an amazing talent. He's always been an amazing talent since both him and his brother have come on the scene. Obviously, Rico's pushed on mm. um, with uh, test caps and what have you, as we all know. But um, Rick, uh, Akira could easily... You know, be someone that um, could get many, many years in the All Blacks jersey, but for whatever the All Blacks require of them, 
so long as he sort of adheres to that and just does everything. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to lose who he is as a, an individual, as a player, because that sort of natural ability and the natural giftings um, can't be taught. And we saw that with those forwards of the past, like a, a Sione Lawaki, um, you know, Mosetu Ali'i during Kainu, to name a few. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a good point you raised. Like, I think feel like um, Akira, ever since he was a young, you know, 15, 16, he basically was the first guy picked in nearly every team he got in without having to do much work. Mm. So I feel like this is the first time he's had to get a real kick up the bum. I hope he would have got that message when Hanson was basically pleading with him to sort it out because mm. I think if he could have got it sorted maybe two, three years ago, Hanson would have picked him. He wanted to pick him. But he just had some, you know, he'll do something amazing, uh, do this amazing run, and you won't see him for another mm. five, six yeah. minutes. You know, he's the work rate. That, 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 that could have easily been the difference between him, uh, between him, uh, Squire, Shannon Frizzell, getting that, you know, that last-minute spot in the ABs. Who knows? Mm. What because I don't think people didn't think expect Shannon Frizzell to get that call up when um, Luke Jacobson no the Chiefs um, got injured. Yeah, eh? Luke Jacobson, yeah, Luke Jacobson. So yeah. everyone was up sort of trying to guess uh, who would be the one. Would it be Vaifa Fita? Would it be? But um, yeah, so interesting in the end. All right, all right, good stuff, good content there for the Blues. So we'll carry on. We'll carry on to uh, your neck of the woods there, Rog. Uh, the Chiefs. Think? So the Chiefs, they're third in the uh, New Zealand Conference on uh, 19 points. And they had four wins and two losses so far. So, mm. Roger, I'll give you your moment to, uh, to shine. They're fifth overall. And it's weird. If the competition had ended right now, the Blues are in fourth and the Chiefs are in fifth. So that would have been the first quarterfinal matchup. But, Roger, I'll let you... Um, Took about yeah. your team before I shoot all your points down. <laughs> what, what have you made? Of, what have you made of the Chiefs? Well, for you just to start off with that, if they were to finish here and now, and that would be the final standings, I think that's a little bit premature of you, because obviously we don't know. It's only it was only seven weeks in. We've had six games out of that seven. The Blues having one game more than most other teams, so there was still going to be. 10 matches left in the season. So anything could have gone any which way um, between then and the end of the season with 10 matches to go because I didn't realise it was 18 rounds, so with a lot of buys in between. So the Blues would have had nine games left. Chiefs and everyone else would have had 10. Um, So that's where I, I believe the season would have been still up in the air. It's really hard to get a gauge as to where the final standings would have been given it was it was cut short due to you know the the lockdown it's just really hard i remember you saying stace that the uh, the chiefs were were slow starters slow starters where they were always you know a lot of the time they're trailing at um, half time and then it was it was a bad it was a bad sort of gay or bad omen for them to always come back from behind and winning in the second half. Whereas if I look back and again, going back 10 years here from 2010 through to 2020, we've had the Hurricanes and the Crusaders. They, they have played, um, they were, they've won 26 games coming from behind the Hurricanes out of 70. And the Crusaders have won 17 games out of 46, having 
been trailing from behind. The Chiefs are third. Um, and they, they only had 22. In the last 67 games where they played, between 2010 and 2020, there was only 22 occasions where the Chiefs were behind. That's including this year. There's only 22 occasions. And hold yeah, on. That's a, that's a good point. But, I mean, that's happened no, 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 five they, times they, they, this year. They were behind. 67. They were 67 behind, sorry. So a total of 67 games they were behind um, at halftime. They won 22 of them. So that's only 33%. So that's not, it's like, I guess, the general feel is because, you know, you're, you're sort of like looking at the Chiefs, they're a strong team that can finish easily. But I think a lot of the time when they are behind, uh, they, they don't win them all the time. And, and uh, I think the stats are saying that, yeah, 22 times I've only won and 54 they've lost trailing at half time. So they don't really have good stats in terms of finishing. But I think the general feel for this year, for the few ma- matches that they had played, yeah, they, they do start slow, but they, they finish strong. And it was evident in that game against the Blues. The Blues were 19-5 ahead in that first match. And, um, you know, they, the Blues were coming off a great preseason and all the, the bragging rights of the preseason championship that they win almost every year. Um, but the Chiefs had yeah, come back from a 19-5 deficit and won that match. And I think it was just the inclusion for that particular match was Anton Leonard-Brown, Aaron Cruden coming off the bench and then um, showing what they can do, especially with the in- inclusion of Aaron Cruden. It was awesome to see him come back and just – it was almost like a, he was just – walking on water and, you know, just gracefully just going about what Aaron Cruden does. is almost like he it was like had miraculous play all, all over him, mate. It was just untouchable. And he'd, he'd do some awesome passes and, and putting tries in. And that's the reason why I believe that they won that game against the Blues. And the Blues had it for all money, but, um, yeah, got a bit complacent and uh, got worn down by... Um, very good attacking side from the Chiefs. But I think, for me, the standout player for the Chiefs would be um, Brad Weber, for my take. It's just because of, I, I think he got mentioned in a few other podcasts about where he stood in amongst uh, the current crop of halfbacks. And I think... I tend to agree with that. Brad Weber is a dark horse and probably even outgunning Aaron Smith. We know that Aaron Smith is going to be there in, in amongst the top three um, and probably still is the number one. But Brad Weber, in terms of leaps and bounds and improvement over the last few years, I think he's our, he's probably could potentially take over TJ Perinara, um and being that number two halfback. Because just what Brad Weber does, if he's injury-free, Brad Weber's an amazing, he's an out-and-out speed and he's also got a lot of um, mongrel to his play and just good tactical positioning as well for a halfback and just being in, being in the right place at the right time. Nice. Uh, Rod's getting in his defence there early. <laughs> Joey, what about you, brother? What have you made of the Chiefs so far this season? It's, um, I'm, um, that's, that's I'm quietly, yeah, I'm quietly pleased with uh, their efforts this year. I mean, um, there has been a couple of games there against the Blues that I wanted the Blues to win. Um, but uh, watching the Chiefs, especially the game, one in particular, the one where they came from behind to beat the Crusaders was a standout for me. Yep. And it's funny you mentioned Brad Weber, um, Rog, because Brad in that game, for whatever reason, didn't start. And Te Toiro Taurirangi started. Yeah. 
um, and even scored a try. So I think Brad, I think you're right on all points, but I also think he needs to be wary that he's got someone like Triple T there, or 3T as I think they call them, um, to keep him the same way that Hoskins is keeping um, Akira um, yeah. in check. You know, he's keeping him honest. So 3T, I think, is really good for Brad Weber right now because Brad Weber can easily lose the plot and go, you know what, I've been there, done that, scored, scored a try in the All Blacks jersey, there's nothing more to do. Um, but I think he needs to start thinking about long-term his legacy in the All Blacks jersey and actually pushing um, TJ Pedernada for that jersey. Um, Aaron Smith, for one reason or another, is favoured, and he's he's the number one halfback in the country, if not the world. But it is, I think he does, Brad Weber does hold attributes that will get him to number one uh, for many years to come. So he needs to really be worried that in order to get to the ABs, he needs to own that number nine jersey in the Chiefs first. And the only way he's going to do that is by turning out performances like we know he can um, and keeping this 3T guy away and on the bench. And um, it, it can only be good for him. So, yeah, it was, that was a game that I, I really enjoyed watching and I really enjoyed the result because the Chiefs came back and beat the Crusaders. You know, there was a standout in that game, which was um, Jack Goodhue. He's been doing really well for the Crusaders. Yeah. Um, another Northland boy, you know, um, someone who has gone outside of his own province to become an All Black. And unfortunately, he's playing for the Crusaders. And, you know, that they, they time and time again, they churn out these All Blacks from other regions of, of New Zealand. Well, they and, also picked up Braden Eno, so they picked up two of our exactly, and another All Exactly. They so picked up we, basically our whole midfield. We treat them like shit, and then, and then other yeah. franchises turn them into All Blacks. So I think the Blues have really got a problem there uh, as a franchise as a whole. They've really got to figure out ways to keep this talent instead of making them these empty promises, and then they go looking elsewhere and become All Blacks elsewhere. You could probably make up a whole team of players that have gone out of the union and become All Blacks who've gone on to higher honours from the Blues sort of um, playing region. But yeah, on that game, yeah, Mm. I mean, it comes back down. There was that moment where um, Brad Weber, he got tackled, but he still got the ball away to Sean Wainui. Yeah, that's right. Uh, And that was that try that... um, Sean Wainui, he's another one. Yeah, and then to... Add salt to the wound was to get a penalty in the dying moments there and preventing the Crusaders from getting a bonus point, a loss mm. bonus point. So it's always encouraging um, because the Crusaders are going to be always be the, the you know what the Blues were in the, the late nineties mm. through to the early two thousands yeah. while the Crusaders were sort of building their dynasty. Um, that's what the Crusaders are now. And if you, even if the mm. Crusaders don't want to win a championship, if you're being able to topple them throughout the season, um, that's a good omen for that team. That's a, it's a good sign yeah. for any team that can knock over the Crusaders because yeah. they're always going to be good. And even on their worst day, they're still good. So, um, and to get the result against a, a really quality side like the Crusaders, there's no mean feat. So, mm. and, you know, the Chiefs can still turn out those. Yep, unfortunately, they lost two games, uh, two other games in, you know, in the first six weeks, but 
that's going to happen and there's always going to be little speed bumps along the way, but yeah, it doesn't sure. take away, I don't think, um, the Chiefs being a quality side and one that could push for um, potential um, championship honours. But in saying that, in the last several years, they've been they've been quite far off the mark. You know, they're in thereabouts, but still far from where they want to be. Um, the last five years, they've finished seventh um, last year, fifth the year before, sixth in 2016 and 17 and fifth twice as well in 15 and 14 and that's going and then before that that's when they won their back-to-back championship so yeah they haven't um, been in the running but they've been there and thereabouts had some good results go their way but at the same time mm-hmm. um, some of the, those games that they probably could have won they just sort of just lose out to but then that's just, that's the, the beauty of the Super Rugby when you're coming up against quality sides um, it's anyone's game at the end of the day but Mm, true. I think that's where I see the Chiefs. Like you, the last sort of four or five years, they've been close, but not really that close. I, I see them as maybe a first or maybe the second week of the playoffs. That was not a segue really. for you to capitalise on making a but, point. But not really. <laughs> it's, yeah, but, but, but I, I see, I see sort of like a much of a muchness with them. I think that that's where they're at again. Like they're, they're currently fifth on the table. Um, that's sort of where I see them. They're, they're not. Contenders, I'm not going to put them in the contenders, or maybe slightly off a little bit below them. I think they'll make the playoffs, but I don't think that they'll. Just to bring you back down to earth space, so the Blues finished 13th last year, 14th in 2018. They finished 9th in 17, 11th in 16, 14th in 15. They finished 10th twice in those two respective seasons before that, then 12th. The best season they've had since 2010 is when they finished 4th in 2011. That's the the highest they've been. When we, finished fourth, when we finished fourth in 2011, we conceded 21 points per game. And this year we were conceding 19.1 points per game. So we've got the best defence, and defence is the key. So that's why I think the Blues were going to have a, a good season. But anyway, I don't <laughs> want to move too, go back to the Blues. I want to focus on the Chiefs. So I think you guys made some real good points. And, I mean, I, I agree with you guys' points about Brad Weber. Um, but I, I just wanted to get your guys' opinion about um, sort of Anton Leonard-Brown. Like he's sort of been shuffled between 12 and 13. So I want to ask you guys, uh, where do you think his best position is? And who do you think is his best midfield partner at the Chiefs? Because he's had Nankerville, Tupaya, and two more Manu played the last couple of games with um They've all sort mm-hmm. of all shared it. I think Gatland, I don't even know if maybe he does know and he's just mixing it up a bit. But I mean, he's probably all we can say to... in the midfield is that Anton Leonard Brown is, is guaranteed and the rest of the guys are sort of. Yeah. I think we, we, when he plays 12, he's he's uh, limited in what he can do and, and what we know that he can do because as a 13, he's a bit more um, at liberty to to run the ball a lot longer, whereas 12, he's seen to be either distributing by kick or pass and, or or smashing out the And we know he can do all those roles really well. And so he's he's always going to be a shoo-in for being part of that mid, midfield pairing as to where he fits in in, in, the super, in, in in the scheme of things for the Chiefs, I think his best position is 12. But then because he brings the tightness and closeness and then whoever the younger ones that they can play outside him, um, um, that gives them that freedom to to do what they need to do to distribute out wider. Um, but in terms of the All Blacks, I think his position is, is 13. That's hmm, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I prefer him at 13 um, myself. That's my own preference, just because seeing him in the All Blacks jersey, there are really tight games that the All Blacks have had over the last couple of years, especially. And 
he's come out into his own as a distributor. Like there's there's times where you think, okay, he's easily going to get tackled by two guys here. And somehow he gets the ball out, not in the kind of way that Sonny Bill used to do offloads, but he finds a way to create, you know, a bit of space outside him and distribute the ball to the right people. I think he looks a bit slippery out there, like pretty yep. hard to tackle because he's he's unpredictable on his feet. You don't know what he's going to do, which is cool. That's, I like that about him. But, yeah, I think he's a 13 more than anything. The Santa Parra... Pairing that I've enjoyed so far with the Chiefs is Tupaya um, for Leonard Brown. So, you know, he, he can do well in both jerseys, but I think he's a 13. There was one game in particular, the the Chiefs' loss against the Brumbies, where Anton Leonard Brown scored a try. And it was a good try. It was a try when I think there was a Brumbies guy in the Sinbin. But, you know, Anton's the kind of guy who you give him, a, give him an inch, he'll take a mile, I think. So, class player. Class player, and he's still young. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting because, yeah, I sort of semi-agree agree with both of you. I think with the All Blacks, I definitely think he'll be probably a 13. And um, it's interesting because I'm not sure if the Chiefs, if that's where he best fits in. It looks like Gatlin likes him a little bit more. At 12, he's play, I think he's played more games there mm. yeah. this year. But, yeah, for the All Blacks, I definitely think he's a 13. I actually like Nankerville. Alec Nankerville, who is a 12. But I mean, you know, Tupai has done Tupai has done good things, and I think he, he's he's basic. He's a baby. He has the potential to be an All Black of the future. So I like the idea of giving him some exposure. But you know, it's I, I think that's still up in the air who, who they're going to pick. I know Tumu Manu ended up getting the last the last two starts. So mm. be interesting. Just for me with the Chiefs, I can't get past those slow starts, Roger. Five of these six games, they were behind. But- White like I say, see, in the first half, and, uh, and that's only this year. But you know that to see the that's the thing. The problem is when when the Chiefs do give teams that sort of false sense of security in terms of being, that's where it's misconstrued in that sense because a lot of teams think, yeah, we're right here. The Blues, Ricky Wainer came off the field at halftime waving to the fans. Is like he is like, yeah, we've got this in the bag. Nineteen five up because he had scored two tries in there first yeah. half, I think. Yeah, and so, and that's where the you know, a lot of the reason as to why the Chiefs are so good at doing uh, that. I, I want to ask they, you a question. Well, what do you put? What do you put the slow starts down to? Because I mean, I, I think they, they've well, got away with okay, it. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll counter you with this. I'll counter you with this. The no, slow team. start. You, you think it's a slow start, but in the same sense. You got to give the Blues credit. They played well in that first half, so they just played well, and so the, the Chiefs got were caught off guard a little. It happens, but if we go back to the Chiefs, uh, to the Blues. The Blues have had eighty five games where they're behind, and only won fifteen. Yes, but I mean that, that proves my point that you can't keep having slow starts and recovering from it. So I mean the Crusaders are the so the Chiefs. But the have Chiefs been can. The Chiefs can five by a little bit more. Six games. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose that's where I see the Chiefs there. I think that they're sort of good, but I think the slow starts will stop them from being a genuine contender. I think, oh, I'm going to put them in the below the genuine that's, contenders. That's where I find it hard to believe that, you know, the Blues all of a sudden are genuine contenders this year. But then I go back to my point, they're 13th last year, 14th the year before. Ninth. That's that's not a championship team that I can see that's going to make it headway from you know, having I'll- those placings in the last five plus years. One thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do another podcast, and I'll get. I'd love for you guys to come on again about 
or mainly a blues-centric one about why the blues were good and where they turned to crap and how they're going to get back to good. And one thing, I don't want to get too much into it, but John Hart, he touched on a really good point with the Blues. About He said that the Blues, when they were good in the 90s, in the two, 2003, whatever, when they won it, they won it because Auckland, Auckland rugby carved up in the NPC. So they won six titles in the NPC uh, from 95 to 2005. And on the back of the greatness of the Blues, out of Auckland NPC, the Blues were built. And I mean, he his idea was that the Blues will never be great until Auckland's great again. And Auckland won the NPC when we won in 2018 for the first time in I think it was like 13 years. And they made the semifinals last year. And on the back of Auckland getting back to being good, the Blues are getting back to being good as well. So Hoskins, the two two we talked about before, that's a good example of a guy who's just come through the ranks. As a he he he's only ever known Auckland being good. He's only played two years of NPC, and he's only ever known Auckland being good. And you watch him play for the Blues. He's played, what, seven games in his life of Super Rugby, and he's an all-black contention. And that's what it used to be like for the Blues. So, I mean, we, we, this is a, a different podcast. I don't want to digress too much, but, I mean, you know, I think that it, to compare it to other years when the, when Auckland was garbage and the Blues were garbage, I mean, the, the two things are, uh, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. Those are two events that occur together. But, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get something else we'll talk about on a different podcast. <laughs> No, he was he was Yeah. So, any last thoughts on the Chiefs before we move on to these um to the rest of these New Zealand teams? I think your contenders for All Blacks berths would be your normal Aaron Cruden. I think Aaron Cruden could be back in the mix, um, having had a stellar start to his reintroduction to Super Rugby. Obviously, you got the general contenders like Sam Kane, Antonina Brown, as we mentioned, Brad Weber, as we mentioned. Um, Damien McKenzie, now I'm gonna sh- oh, I'm gonna throw in there Lachlan Boschia um, oh, yep, as I a think... genuine contender for a loose forward seven six. Mm. Um, definitely his his turnover rate, his general play, his tackling is is up there with the best of the sevens um, sixes as well throughout Super Rugby. But then I'll, I'll throw in um, Aiden Ross, the prop, as well as. Gus, uh, Peter Gus Sawakula, who we've talked about as possibly in the All Blacks 15. Yeah, yeah. Um, now that you mentioned it, like, I mean, I know you guys talked up Brad Weber, but I look at Boshia. To me, he's been the um, the player, the best player for the Chiefs and, and possibly the stand-up player for the comp. I mean, I, I don't disagree with it. There's a, there's a real fight for the least forward position, so hopefully he's um, one of those contenders. Let's go call on that, Roger. I, I agree with that. What about you? Yeah, it's, just, like, it's just awesome just to see him when he pops up at the bottom of the rucks and he's won another ball, you know, made another amazing tackle to stop a try or score a try at the bottom of a ruck. Or he just pops up everywhere when you don't expect him to be there. And just like, oh, he's there again. And, and he makes the exciting um, game. It makes it exciting to watch. And I think the closest that the Hurricanes have is that guy, what's his name? Uh, Samoan, I think he is. Uh, Karifi? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's, okay. he's sort of a yeah, similar sort of player who pops up everywhere, does what a Lucy's meant to do. Joey, yeah, I agree with the um, Boshia call and the Saul Cooler call. Um, those two have been standouts for the Chiefs for sure. Um, Boshia, he speaking of the Hurricanes, he did a, a bit of a pick and go, and. It led to a try. 
and he's he's been doing that all season so far, which is awesome mm-hmm. to see the pick and yep. goes from the big men like that. So, but that's a that's a deceptive thing as well. Boshia doesn't look like your typical big gym goer type Lucy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like a of the slimmer mold or the smaller mold. But then Sam Kane is deceptively um, big as well. You know, he doesn't yeah. look much, but he's he's quite a solid unit. Yeah, he's a big boy. Yeah, Boshia seems like a you know. Obviously, the the earlier years of that, and where they actually they fill out even more. They, but deceptively, again on TV, they probably don't look like as big as they really are in person. But um, but he holds his own, and you know similarly could be said about Adi Savile when he first came on the scene. How they said that he wouldn't really become a regular All Black because he was too small as a number seven. But well, you know we know the story of Adi. Yeah. I did enjoy Sam Kane as number eight against the Crusaders. I think um, he, he led really well in that game as a captain. Yeah, I, th- I think there was one thing that I thought was really interesting because they had Sam Kane at eight, they had uh, Boshia who was playing sometimes six or seven, and they had um, Mitch Karpik. Mm. So they were basically playing three open sides all in their loose forwards. Yes. So I yes. thought that was um, strange. I don't know what the right word is, but I mean, no, yeah, because was... that was an interesting, interesting mix. So when you m- mentioned Mitch Cup, because he's another Auckland player has come from up these ways, he, he had massive reps as well when he got signed up by the Chiefs. Uh, I wasn't sure as to why the Blues let him go, but he was one of those players that could have gone far. Again, unfortunately, um, he had a massive injury early last year, so he was out for the majority of the year. But it's good to see him um, making his way back and, and still maintaining a spot within the Chiefs squad because, again, another... I mean, the Chiefs have some riches in the loose forward um, department as well, but they're always going to be sort of learning a lot behind someone like your Sam Kane, as as long as he's in the mix with all New Zealand rugby. So, uh, we'll move we'll move on now because I, I don't want to talk about your team anymore. We'll move on to the um, we'll move on to the uh, the Hurricanes, moving down a little bit further to the bottom of the North Island. So the Hurricanes currently in fourth spot in the New Zealand Conference, and they are. Seventh, seventh overall, and their record was four and two. So, um, Joey, I'll come to you first, mate. Um, any yep. thoughts on the Hurricanes so far this season? Inconsistent is the word I think of when I think of the Canes this season. Inconsistent. Uh, yep. I've also got had that word written down yet. Carry on. <laughs> the Blues pipped them at the post, 24-15, and that was down at the Capeton as well, wasn't it? And then, you know, the week before that, they smashed the Sunwolf. So there's a bit of complacency there, I um, between those two games where they smashed the Sunwolves 62-15 and then went to play against the Blues and lost against the Blues. And then they, so largely their season is very inconsistent. Uh, I, I would put it down to complacency. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've got some They've got some talented players. They just need to be able to unlock that. Yep, yep. What about you, Roger? Anything to add on top of that? Yeah, with the with the Hurricanes, I think uh, similarly after the first game of the round um, of the year for the Hurricanes, again they fell into as I mentioned in the previous podcast with you, Stacey, is that the Hurricanes, and similarly to the Highlanders, they were placed in that um, their bracket where the bottom of the New Zealand Conference is going to be a team starting with the letter H. Yes, and but again. <laughs> I couldn't believe they were saying, you know, 
punters were coming out and saying that after week one. It's 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 not a given. You don't know what's going to happen. But, yeah, obviously we're seeing the Highlanders down near the bottom. The Hurricanes are in fourth place at the moment in the New Zealand Conference. But I think for them the big problem with the inconsistencies is is the massive loss of, of experienced players that they've, they've had the year mm. prior. And they lost the likes of um, Matt Proctor, Sam Losey, mm. Odin Barrett, obviously. Um Chris Eves, who was a uh, one of their go-to props, that always came off the bench, and then mm. Jeff Tomanga Allen as well, and Liam Minoskada, who wasn't really available for them, but you know, in and around as a mentor role, sort of for the younger ones coming through. So that's where mm. they've got a really young sort of side in terms of experience in, in the team, and where mm. the inclusion of a, of a guy like you know uh, Van Wyck, who was pretty much just playing out his rugby career in South Africa and all of a sudden gets an amazing call-up through John Plumtree, who has connections to South Africa. Because it's not often that you hear of South Africans or, you know, players from outside coming and playing in the super rugby teams in New Zealand. You know, we had the Pacific Island boys coming through in the 90s through Bronley Ma, Afato Soalo, you remember those guys that used to, mm. you know, and you had Tovainga, they who were mainstays in through Highlanders, Blues and the Crusaders respectively. But um, I think with the Hurricanes, it is a bit of a rebuild. They've still got the likes of Adi Savir, the Geordie Barretts, mm. TJ Perinata, who I think TJ, once he goes, he's going he's gonna to be a massive loss with the Hurricanes when once TJ sort of decides to either end his career here or go overseas because he's played over 133 games for the Crusaders, uh, for the Hurricanes. And he's, he's probably one of their most um, um, experienced players, let alone um, being one of the incumbent halfbacks at, uh, at All Black level as well. So he's, he's going to be a massive, he's a massive mainstay and also a huge part of that Hurricanes outfit. And Ngani Mape, I think with him, uh, he's shown some good touches as well. But for me... I, I believe, as much as I like, I like his entertaining football, he's similar to what Ma'a was at the beginning of his sort of career. He was quite one-dimensional, he's, and he, he wasn't um, versatile enough or because he's just seen as a battering ram. Yeah, he's got fit yeah. speed and footwork, and when he's out in the open, he can finish off some good good tries like yeah. we saw him do um, early this season. But um, I don't know, he because the way he was... Uh, excluded from the All Blacks Rugby World Cup squad last year, I believe, you know, he could be on the outer and you got someone like a Brad Inua who's more versatile, who's who more of a player that can cover more, multiple positions, um, could see the demise of a, a player like a Nani Lomapi, despite the explosiveness that he adds and the impact that he can bring off the bench or even as a starter. But, you know, just when you're in amongst good company, that's always the... Uh, the danger of whether, you know, could be the difference of you playing a handful of tests for the All Blacks compared to, you know, a career that can span more than five years. Mm. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point on Lomapi. You're like, I mean, when he got excluded from the All Blacks, I mean, there was sort of an uproar, but someone was always going to miss out. And the thing was, like, he's always been powerful. And if you look at him, he's still running through people and running over the top people and, you know, strong ball carries. And that's sort of... That wasn't why he got excluded from the World Cup. They didn't say, oh, you're not powerful enough. You need to work on this aspect of your game. It was mm. more the, you know, the finer nuances of midfield play, the 
yeah. you know, setting up your outside backs and communicating with the rest of your team, the kicking game, that sort of stuff. So he's uh, he's still to me he hasn't shown it. He's still he's still strong in the, in the ball carry, which he's always been. But it's those other parts of his game which he's still. It looks like he's working on it, but I don't think he's quite there yet. So it could be a good call on him. I bet it was just hard on him because he's done nothing wrong. Every no, game he hasn't he's done for the, every game he's played it's for the All Blacks, he's played good. So I mean, mm. sort of like he just needs to develop more to his game. And you can see, you can see where his background as a league player is—it's obvious there. The way that he runs the ball, the way he hits a tackle—that's that's your typical Nani Lomape style. And I think it's trying to dis- differentiate. That kind of a centre to then a centre like, as we mentioned, Anton Leonard Brown or Braden Enoa, or you know the way the way that Scotty, uh, even Crotty was, you know they they were all sort of very more agile in a sense. They weren't just your hard running centres. They they had mm. more to and that same mould that Sonny Bill Williams sort of try to cut away from. You know, not just being a battering ram or just yep. to be someone that can just stop centres in the in the run in the midfield but he had to try and evolve his game to the point where he was able hey I can I can actually kick the ball and Ma'a was a classic example and that's why he was Ma'a is always going to be uh, one of the greats of all black centres doesn't matter who you enter enter into the mix whether it be with a Tana Umanga uh, or you know Frank Bunce because Ma'a was able to evolve over a longer period of time compared to those, those centres that I've mentioned but He's sort of evolved. Yep, he went from wing, then into the centre, but then to play as many games as Ma'a did shows the not only the character, we know we can talk about the character till the cows come home, but we can show his longevity in terms of that sense. And that's why when they do put up these who's your best prop of the decade or who's your best prop of all time or centre or wing, it doesn't matter what position, the guys who have played their 100-plus games have to get it on that merit alone, I believe. Despite, I love Olo Brown, and Olo Brown was an awesome um, player for his time. But then when you put him up against a guy like um, uh, Franks, on oh, Franks, just because he's able to put his body through the amount of tests that he did compared to Olo Brown, I'll always rank uh, Franks over Olo in that sense. Just pure on longevity, just like the debate with Michael Jones and Richie McCaw. Always up to your favourite. You have your favourites. I'd always love Michael Jones. This is again going all going off to a different tangent. But, <laughs> but Richie McCaw, in terms of longevity, yeah, I could go on about a number of other. Just examples. on that, just on that little muppy point. Like to me, you touched on something critical. Like you talked about Frank Bunce, uh, Tana Umanga, and Martin Oru. If you look at those three guys, like they played some of their best rugby as midfielders, like after thirty almost. Like yeah. that was sort of um, it takes a long time almost to learn the position and the positional play. Smoking Joe, there, smoking yeah, exactly, Joe. exactly. That's another good example. Those guys all um, all played their best rugby like thirty to thirty-five. That was when they were were basically at their best. So I think like Lamapi, he's still got time on the side. He's sort of twenty-six, twenty-seven. So maybe if, hopefully they. But see the, the dilemma there, though, Steve, the dilemma there now rugby. for a lot of the young players, the, the dilemma is that do they stay? Do we persist? Do we stay and chase that jersey? Do I want to try and chase 50 games? Do I want to chase 100? It's not the same landscape anymore because the money value overseas for an All Black is huge. So that's that's what I mean in, in terms of a lot of these players are not going to – that's not the same. The jersey's not enough anymore, I don't, I don't think. It is – for a lot of players, but still, 
you know, we can we can go back to guys like uh, Charles Piotel. Charles Piotel, but then it's understanding because some people, oh yeah, they don't they don't put value on the on the jersey anymore. But I think it's different. It's it's people understanding the holistic view of where Charles Piotel is coming from because it's about family. It's about you know, it's about setting yourself up for the long term because you can only play rugby for so long, and so you either chase that. You chase the, the jersey, become like a Richie McCaw, become known for just finishing your career here and now. But then, you know, imagine the money that Richie McCaw could have could have made overseas. But you know, every everyone's different, and so that's where you're Kevin Melamu. He never went overseas either. So yeah, yeah. Well, Joey, what's your thoughts on the on the midfield debate? Where do you where do you see Lamuapi in the in the grand scheme of the the All Blacks and stuff? For me, it's not even um, it's not so much in Lamuapi. It's more Okay, what has Lomape got inside him that is going to help him get to or perform at his best so that he can be in the running for the ABs? So far, he's got TJ Perinara at nine, this bloke named Fletcher Smith. Uh. Is he jelling for Fletcher Smith to run the game together? I think that's what it's going to come down to. His selection in the ABs is going to come down to this Fletcher Smith guy, whether or not he helps him or is detrimental to his progress. We all know Lomapi is a battering ram. We all know he can do the deal, do the deed there. But like you say, Rog, he needs to be able to evolve the way Ma did if he wants to have a long career in the black jersey. Like he should look at that that exclusion last year as a real wake-up call. He hasn't got a mortgage on the jersey. He's number one preferred 12. Mm. And he won't he keeps making the same run for the AB jersey that he has in previous seasons. Yeah. yeah. Um, he needs to he needs to adapt. And the way he's going to adapt is by having a kicking game, by thinking more, by putting other people in holes that you may not have before. So... And yeah. I think the disappointment of that World Cup as well is, again, you refer back to Ma'a when he was excluded in the World Cup eh? and, and the way that he was able to bounce back from that disappointment in 2007. So as our, uh, our one-man audience has uh, jumped in there to confirm that. So yes, and, and that's the thing, because Ma'a, you know, he he had reason to feel aggrieved as to his exclusion in that in that uh, Rugby World Cup. Mm. But the way that, and the character that he showed to come back from that and then able to play on for the amount of time that he did and for the his longevity speaks volumes to not only himself but the way he developed as a player and adjusted to according to what the coaches were wanting to get out of him. Because sometimes, you know, we could always also say that, you know, the coaches could be wrong in that sense to try and change a player the way the player is, but at the same time they have the best interest not only of the player but the the better you know, the the, the best interest of the game and the in the in the country all in one as well. So but I think Ma is a, a general example there for what Lomape could look to. But then, like I say, everyone's different. Uh, everyone will have different priorities and different goals and achievements. But I think the way Nani took that disappointment last year, I think he's someone that would want to try and prove a point to try and make – it might not happen, but I think he'll stick around, hopefully, to try and um, regain sort of some ex- inclusion into the, the next World Cup. Mm. Yeah, I hope so, because I think that um, Nonu is a very good example. Like that 2007 World Cup where he got left out, and then Sonny Bill came over, and he mm. was sort of like the shiny new toy, and everyone was talking him up. And rather than kick his toys out again, because he was sort of was potentially on the back burner, he thought, now I'm going to keep fighting. 
And yeah, I think at the end of 2010, they went on an overseas tour and Sonny Bill Williams took the took the 12 jersey, but Nonu said, no, nah, I'm going to keep fighting. And he ended up taking it back off him. And then, you know, the rest is history. He's, um, he, but he's, he's that guy, By the, if you look back at his career, he's a guy who setback after setback, he just keeps uh, backing himself to come back and be, nah, I, I, can, I can learn from this and I can grow from this. So I agree with you guys about Lamape. So, you know, one thing I'll say about Lamape is like, I thought that, Bowden Barrett helped make him look good. So I thought that Bowden Barrett, because of the three years, he's the two-time World Player of the Year. When he runs the ball, all the defense just they're on high alert and they just run yeah, to him. The blues. So when he passes it to Lamape, I thought, okay, Lamape almost gets a free run, and that's why he's looks good, and then he might might show that he's better than he really is. But now that like you brought up a good point, uh, Joey, about Fletcher Smith, he's still Lamape still having a good season with Fletcher Smith, even though Fletcher Smith. He, I don't That's want to rubbish. be rude to the guy. Yeah, he's, he's Gaya, man. He's Gaya. <laughs> but Lomapi himself has still played good despite not having Braden Barrett inside him. So I think that's a credit to him and something that hopefully the All Black selectors will acknowledge and say, hey, look, this guy's playing re- good regardless of a massive drop in the play- guy playing inside him. So, you know, you got to give him at least some credit for that. Mm. Usual bolters for the Hurricanes, I think, for me, and I think most of you will agree, is Adi, Jordy Barrett, Dane Coles, the possibility to be including the, those the top three hookers, TJ Perinara, Nani, I think I'm, I'm throwing Nani Lomapi in the head. Picking him? You're picking him? Yep, to be in the wider, like a 30 man squad, if they, they have a, you know, like a rugby championship or end of year tour, I think Nani could be an inclusion either way there. I do agree with Isa's point. He's just texting there that um, Dane Coles is, is too dirty now, as <laughs> Isa's words. And I agree. I think he's. He, he, reminds me, he reminds me of a young young Roger. He's. <laughs> He's got he's got that little bit of um, yellow or red card in this game, you know. <clears throat> I think I just always wanted justice, but I think Dane is just is a little bit like uh, you know somewhat of what Akira looks out for as well. He, he you know he wants to get the last say, and I think he he likes to put that mongrel back if someone's going to try and hurt either himself or another one of his players, he's going to hurt him even back tenfold, you know. So that's that's the kind of play Dane Coles is. But obviously, if Dane Coles just concentrates on what made him the world's best hooker several years ago before his um, run of injuries, I think he could come back and finish his career off really nicely there. But mm. Scott Scrafton to um, bolt into the ABs 15. <laughs> and if the South Africa, if the Springboks don't pick him up, I think Cobus Van Wyk might be locked into the New Zealand system with the ABs 15 as well. And uh, Vince Hussle, Ben Lamb, always teetering on the outskirts there. Nice. Joey, uh, what's your thoughts on Dan Coles? I know that the, the finer arts of the front row will leave to you guys. That's your guys' uh, area of expertise, I won't chime in. But what are your thoughts on Coles? Do you think he's still got it for at AB level? I think he needs to be pushed more by Asafwell more. Um, Asafwell's got the goods to push him. Yeah. He's got a few more years to prove himself. Um, it's quite unfortunate for Asafwell that he's there because it means no game time because they're always going to pick Dane Coles over him. But he is an absolute talent of one coming through. Dane Coles, as much as I think he needs to get stamped that out of his game, the dirty stuff, I think we'll remember him for years and years and years to come because of it. But <laughs> and that could be a good point or a bad point to you. Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, I mean, you look back to how fit he was. Fitzy yeah, yeah. As well. He was niggly like that as well. 
we remember those parts of his game. We don't we don't remember him being an absolute awesome ball runner, but mm. we remember that he was a good leader. He was always in the ref's ear. We remember that um, you know he was a he played a lot of games. Person to go over ninety. Yeah. You know he was durable, and he kept a, a, another talent like Norm Hewitt on the bench for years. Mm. So he needs to think about his legacy, and if he if he wants someone like a Safwell Moore to not spoil that for him. Mm to um, stay on the field by not being dirty. And it's it's one of those things where, uh, yeah, when you're coming to the end of your career and you look at guys who have gone before uh, Dane Coles, because Coles, he, he's, he's been at number one, you know, for a, a little portion of his career up until the run of injuries and exclusions in the, in the teams. But you look at the guys that have gone before him, Andrew Hoare, um, Kevin Mealamu, mm. and then even going back to Fitzy, and Anton Oliver, even you know, you you, you don't see them in Mark Hammer. You don't see them in the same light as you did Jane, uh, Dane Coles. Even though Dane Coles will have that, yeah, he was the best and awesome ball runner, awesome distributor of the ball, had skills of a back. But I think what shines for a lot of those other players that had gone before was their character, and that I think that again that resonates again with what. Um, uh, what well, Akira has to sort of decide what kind of a player does he want to be remembered for. But at the same time, like I see, don't want to um, discourage them from being the unique players that they are, but trying to find that balance. And you can be, you can have that mongrel, but is it going to be at the expense of your team or uh, of you being on the field? And that could cost teams games. And I think the All Blacks want to step that out of their players as much as possible and try and win um, with 15. It's a real shame that uh, someone like Ben Lamb is on his way up. Mm. It's a real shame that someone like Vaya Fafita hasn't claimed a stake for a starting jersey. Um, he seems to be on the bench more than not. Sussel's um, another one. He needs to push for 13 jersey. Yeah. Proctor's doing really well. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it's, and, and when I think about a Ben Lamb... And then at this, at, you know, at the, who's near the end of his career, opposite to a Mark Taleta, who's nearing the, at the beginning of his career, and where the possibility of, you know, obviously been been trying to get into the All Black contention, and he's had some wonderful um, Super Rugby seasons, especially of recent. You know, he's he does nothing wrong. He's he's got he's an awesome finisher. He's he's a great runner of the ball. Um, he's forever he has a good presence of mind and the same with Mark Tillett what he's shown early in his career especially this season in the in the first seven matches um, is that the, the tragedy would be if he gets locked into New Zealand system and doesn't get utilised whereas on an international level and you know, whether the Samoan jersey is enough for him to be lured that way mm. I don't know but um, I, I think so yeah, and but then at the same time it, it comes. Yeah, it's it's always going to be a crossroads for players who who have sort of who can represent multiple um, countries or nations. Uh, but then once you go one way, that's that's the only way. So it'll be interesting to see where Mark Tillet goes. Interesting to see where Ben Lamb eventually does, because even if he does get a berth with the that New Zealand fifteen, that could be a stepping stone because. I believe that's it's a sort of a interesting way that the New Zealand rugby have gone um, introducing that sort of. Though. I understand why they did it because they're trying to lock in more players mm. as well. 
Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the counter, the ex- exodus of a lot of players going overseas, choosing and, yeah. and, and re- re-representing other countries. So, I mean, mm. it's interesting when you talk about Ben Lamb because there was a period where sort of like a couple of seasons where he was arguably the best wing in Super Rugby, you know. But, I mean, you know, when I look back, I was just looking, he's competing mm. with that. Mm. Ben Smith there, then Israel Dagg there, Arico Yuan is another one who was in there. So it's not that he did anything wrong, it's just that the the guys ahead, you know, they didn't deserve to be dropped in a lot of ways So the All Blacks when I mm. look at it. So, you know, it's sometimes it's one of those things where the players like Lowell Muppet, which we just talked about, to me he's done nothing wrong. He 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 hasn't played bad for the All Blacks in the games he's got, but just the guys that they've got ahead of him, you know, they're just a little bit little bit better. So I mean, you know, it's just one of those things. That's always gonna be the issue with New Zealand rugby when they've got so much depth. But um, I'll give you guys some um, some more stats on the Canes. So the discipline is an issue. They're first in yellow cards and uh, with five yellow cards this year. And um, uh, Fafita, he, he's he's the um, he's number one for the yellow cards this season. So I think that's part of the reason why they've got some might have some issues and why he's not starting. But I mean, you know, and they're 14th in lineout. So they've got they've got a couple of issues. And uh, you touched on, Joey, the, the first five. To me, that's still an issue. They've got Garden Bishop before he got injured, and he looked like he was sort of semi-okay, but they haven't really got anyone who can cover for Bowden Barrett. So, I mean, there's just some issues there. You guys got anything else you guys want to add before we move on to uh, the team I hate? Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, that's it. We'll, uh, we'll move on to the Crusaders. Who uh, the more things change, the more things stay the same. So the Crusaders, they they're coming first, as you'd expect. First in New Zealand Conference, uh, twenty three points, five and one, five and one record. The only loss was that one you mentioned earlier, uh, Joey, with lost to the Chiefs. But um, yeah, the, it's just the same old stuff, same old stuff. So uh, I'll give you, I'll get you jump in there first, Joey. What's your thoughts on the Crusaders? Any anything that stood out for you for them this season? When there's a team like Crusaders who are expected almost every game, I tend to look at the ones that they lose. So this one against the Chiefs that they lost, why did they lose and how's it looking for them? Normally in the Super Rugby season, they're slow starters, so they do tend to lose more in the first half of the season. Yep. They get some good momentum up and then they end up winning the competition, which they've done many years. So my thoughts on the Crusaders on a whole, They've got some really good gelling. They've gelled really really early in the season to how they normally are. Standouts for me would be Jack Goodhue. He's absolute standout. Um, David Harvey is doing well. I'm not sure about this um, having two guys as vice-captain thing. Like the Canes did it. They've done it. It's weird to me. Uh, I think there should be just the one, maybe one vice-captain, but not two vice-captains. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. It should be just one leader, on-the-field leader, who liaises with the ref, manages the troops, and then you have a leadership group. So that's made up of senior guys. I think they've got some really good experience on a whole, super rugby experience, with a lot of their players who have been there a few years. You know, you've got the likes of Cody Taylor, Joe Moody, you've got um, Scott Barrett, David Havili, who's been there a few years now. Jack Goodhue, he's coming to his own. He's only young, and he's got some experience. Braden Enor, he's coming to his own as well. Seville Reese, he's he's an enigma, pretty much. Yep. Uh, 
be interesting to see how Will Jordan goes for the rest of the season. At, at the, I don't rate him over the likes of Damian McKenzie, who's a stalwart. But yeah, there's a good mix of young and old. The young ones are actually stepping up because the old ones are leading the way and leading by example, which is teaching the young ones, look, how it's done. Mitchell Drummond, I like him there. I was never really a fan of Bryn Hall at nine. Um, Bryn Hall has got better over the years, but um, I think at the Blues, I, I pulled my hair up when he was at the Blues. Yes. I really pulled my hair up. But, and I was kind of glad to see him Crusaders and get himself a championship there. But I hated him at the Blues. So it's good to see that he's got some competition there with Mitchell. There's some other guys that are there. There's 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 a few young island guys that are down there that can they have some potential to make something great of themselves. And like um, there's Oliver Jaeger there, who's the starting tight or Jaeger. Um, and I think the likes of Michael Alalator really need to step up their game and own their space or their place in the front row, and not let someone like you know Oliver Jaeger do what the 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 Franks brothers did and own the jersey. For me, the tight head jersey for um, the All Blacks and the Blues, or the Blues especially, I really enjoyed the all-round likes of um, Charlie Fomina because he was there doing the hard graft, and when he did get a chance to run the ball, he showed what he could do. Just like Rog, I, I love and adore Olo Brown just because of how he was in the games that he played, You know, he, how he's revered even now by his old competitors back in the day. Paul Brown being, his back was as straight as a table where you could sort of dine off. Um, and that was the example of Paul Brown and, and, and that's still true to this day. And that's yeah. that's a trait that, you know, a lot of props, if you want to aspire to be a good prop or a great prop, then it's to have that flat, straight back. Mm. And Paul Brown is that example. Yeah, exactly. Like, I couldn't think of maybe Carl Heyman as a, as a, a scrummager who was up there with Paul Brown. But yeah. When it comes to tight heads, Carl Hammond and Ola Brown are right up there for the technical aspect of the, yeah. the, the scrimming. Because I, I remember the first time I saw Carl Hammond, he was a loose head prop. Because he, he was that new sort of um, type of prop because he had height. He was tall. He, was, he was, wasn't your your normally squat, yeah. short-term prop. Yeah, and, and he was a bit bigger too, eh? Yeah, he came a lot. And that's where his mobility came into play as well because he wasn't as, you know, as... Um, as uh, stocky as most props were, mm. but he obviously grew into that the mould that he was. He ended up being a well-revered tight head prop in the end because he had the likes of Case Muse, mm. Carl Hoft as well. But Carl Hoft was yeah. more loosey. Mm. But he he came in and around that era where he was down in, in the Highlanders. But then I think the interesting thing is whether he w- would be remembered as a great All Black mm. is a controversy of him not coming back to the All Blacks after he went to yeah. uh, France and yeah. where the All Blacks management were trying to get him back, you know, trying to give him, you know, lure him back with a lot of enticements. But obviously, Carl Heyman didn't take that. And I think that would have been the difference between him becoming a great All Black. But at the same time, how do we gauge and measure a great All Black? Um, mm, Carl yep. Heyman, for what he did in the small time that he did, he will always be a great All Black in that mm. regard. Um, in the yep. eyes of jurists, in the eyes of the ones that they want people or players to stay loyal to the jersey. Yep, no, that's, um, that's a good point there, Roger, about, um, yeah, it's all about how you measure it. So, I mean, uh, I mean, I was just looking at the um, at the Crusaders and uh, 
you know, they've lost they've lost some pretty intense talent from last year to this year. So Owen Franks has gone, Tim Perry, Sam Whitelock, Jordan Tolfour, Matt Todd, Kieran Reid, uh, Ryan Crotty, Israel Dagg. And in my opinion, at the start of the season, I, at least I thought, well, the Crusaders, who have been so far ahead of everyone, they'll come back now because they've lost too many too many guns and too much elite players. But, I mean, you know, they're still top of the table. So I think they touched on what you mentioned before, like the culture of the Crusaders and the, uh, you know, the, the establishment, the, the franchise itself. They can mm. pick guys from Auckland who weren't that good when they were here and turn mm. them into, you know, future All Blacks. So there's something to be said about the culture of the Crusaders more than anything. anything. That's what I, I take out of a lot of the – about why they're top of the table again. So, absolutely, that's the reason why they've been so successful over the years. They've created a dynasty based on the culture that they have, and it's that culture that produces these All Blacks who come from anywhere in the country. Because of the culture of you know that they do everything that uh, winning culture, everything yep. is winning, everything is striving towards winning. It's doing things positive, more positive than yesterday. That, that kind of mentality. Yep. every single player that gets signed to that franchise and it, it trickles from the way they're led as you know the CEO down it reflects leadership you should see the way that they that franchise in particular is led they've got such a tight ship it's it's going to be hard to take that legacy away from them yep like I, I touched on the players that had left and I thought those holes were too beautiful but there's um that open tight flanker, uh, what's his name? That's just come through. Tom Christie. Tom Christie. Like, holy shit, he's. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets to the All Blacks. Uh, the Cullen Grace, who's playing um, blindside flanker, they just, they can just, guys can leave world class players and they can just fill some gaps. The next guy steps up and he's, um, he's ready. So, uh, a guy like Tom Christie here to bite his time because he was behind. The Matt Todd's, the Richie McCaw, obviously, and, and so um, really. The Samoan bloke, what's his name? And Jordan Telfour. Jordan Telfour. So, so you know, and then now with the with Matt Todd and, and Telfour moving on, he's next cab off the rank, you know, and so and that's the way he does. He didn't go anywhere else because had he gone somewhere else, he would have, you know, already been playing either for the Highlanders or. But I think he knew. You know, he just calculated, hey, well, I'm this young and those guys are that old. So it'd be just a matter of time before he gets his crack. And But unfortunately, there's always going to be those players that are always going to be behind the ones that are the incumbents because, and that's the, the backbone of any squad is you have to have those guys. Like with Matt Todd is a prime example of the way, you know, he didn't get as much game time. And like he reiterated with um, Norm Hewitt as well in the example of Fitz, Fitzy. Those you're gonna always have a, a guy on the bench to the incumbent, and and without them you can't have a squad. So it's sort of like uh, credit due to those players as well, just for sticking around. And it goes back even further. Uh, Johnny Leo didn't go anywhere else; stayed in Crusader Land and played Crusaders. Whenever Richie McCaw is away, then that's when they get their shot. And I think it's loyalty to that uh, the Canterbury and the fabric of Crusader country as well. Eh? It's just that there's guys, no, no matter whether I get one game, two games a season, two games in my whole career, I've played for the Crusaders or i played for Canterbury. 
Nice, nice. Any, any, you guys got any last thoughts? Like, who, who's been the standout player for the Crusaders? Uh, just before we move on to the uh, the Highlanders, anyone, anyone stand out? Any last thoughts before we move on? I think Will Jordan uh, has been a really massive revelation this season for the Crusaders. Uh, George Bridge and Steve Reese have obviously trying to um, follow on from their exploits of last year. Uh, especially George Bridge, Sibi, whether it's been successful, I don't know. But you know, that's the that's the sort of the the hard work that's come after you've become an All Black or being at the top like, of your game and, and trying to maintain and stay there, eh? Yeah, one one thing I'll say about Sibi was like I think he benefited from being from the Crusaders. Like he was he he was pretty good in Waikato. Like I'll give him credit there. But now that he was with the Crusaders and they've got such a gun team, he gets so much more opportunities. But I don't think. I've never thought that he was better than um, like Rico Yuani or anything like that. So, you know, I wouldn't have picked him ahead of Rico Yuani or any of those. Mm-hmm. Any of those. I think it's just the way the way that he could finish and you know make something of nothing. But then it brings me back to the guys like Sivivatu and Joe Rokotoko back in 2007 Rugby World Cup where they discarded uh, Dougie Hallett for Rico uh, for. Sivivatu and Jericho Toko, you know, Dougie got left out simply because those two allegedly brought an X Factor about them and um, we didn't get the job done. But yeah, it's good to have, you know, that Fijian flair, obviously with Sivivatu, uh, but, um, but not to take away from and not to discard those that are safety, you know, our safety needs like your Dougie Hallett was um, because he could play wing fullback and he was good under the high ball. Um, and I think for Graham Henry to come out and say he wanted X Factor and at the expense of a Doug Hallett, I was like, ooh. I think to me that was a massive turning point because now we, if we look at the back three that the All Blacks have picked since, picked since 2007, we have a, a fullback at fullback, obviously, and then we have an X Factor normally on the left, and then we have a sort of a wing fullback hybrid like Corey Jane or. A, you know, Israel Dangle, Ben Smith on the other side. So I think we've learned like that double factor on each side. Um, I, 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 that doesn't normally hook. And I think that's sort of when Naholo he didn't get that much opportunities because they used uh, Rico Yuani as that expected wing. But I think um, Bridge Reese, George Bridge, and Sylvie Reese will still be in the um, in conversations in rela- relation to the All Blacks. Mm. Um, and that's just purely going off last year. Uh, not enough time in the in the game. We did see sort of um, glimpses of what Seaview can do from last year, early this year. Um, Katie Taylor, Joe Moody, um, you know, your usual suspects in the front row in the mix. Cody's come into his own, I believe. He's sort of like he's, he's seen to create a bit of distance between him and Dane Coles now since he's yep. uh, become the incumbent. And that's that's been good because Cody's always been second to Dan Coles when Dan Coles was on his um, um at his peak at his in his prime, but Cody Taylor has been able to find his own and do really well and and just flourish under being the number one hooker for the All Blacks coming off last year. Joe Moody is always going to be there for a wee while yet, um, barring any injuries, and I believe um Jack Goodhue and Enor will be in the conversation as well for ABs. But uh, Will Jordan and Dave Havili for me will be ABs 15. Mm, nice. Nice, nice. Good nice. use, my pick. Yep, mm. yep. 
Yeah, I like good you. I like good you. We'll, we'll move on. Move on to the the lowly Highlanders. Um, Whoa. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, they're uh, coming last in the New Zealand Conference. Um, one win, four losses, and a draw. So. Uh, mm. And that draw was a bad draw was a you know uh, it was yeah they were not kidding a forced yeah. a forced draw for them against the Haguares when I remember waking up in the Rocky Soliola checking up my updates on my points and hey when did this game get cancelled I was going <laughs> oh no I saw a buy I saw a buy on my players I was going I'm sure my Highlanders already had a buy man what's going on here I and mean, sure enough cancellation. But um, I think the Highlanders are another team that have been hit with a lot of player movement, especially players that have finished up last year. And that's going. That's mentioning guys like Waisaki Naholo, massive loss in Ben Smith, um, Luke Whitelock, their uh, formidable leader, um, Liam Squire, and Elliot Dixon, and then also Tyrell Lomax, who moved to the Hurricanes. So wow. those are those are just a name. I didn't realize I didn't realize the losses were that much here, but that's that's quite a, a substantial list. Yeah, and so that's there's no and so yep, no excuses as to the results this year, but that's a massive factor as to why they would have um, not been able to sort of front up against some other experienced teams. But that's a huge list of experience that I've just named off there. That without them, especially Ben Smith, hey, he used to. Again, he was someone of X Factor. Didn't look like much didn't when he first came onto the scene, but a player that's um, well ingrained in the folklore down in Highlands is rugby, let alone all blacks. Yeah, I'm not so sure about their um, captain choice, um, James Lynch's or whatever you call him, mm. at either Aaron Smith or Shannon Frizzell. I think when you're looking at the, the captaincy, when they had um, guys like Manu prior to him and then Luke Whitelock of that loose forward lock mould, um, James Lynch has fits that same and he's like a, a stalwart down those parts where he's been in part of the um, Highlander mould, Highlander franchise since 2015 and I think in his late 20s as well. So he was always gonna, he's, always, he's got a bit of experience behind him with Super Rugby and I think with the loss when Luke Whitelock Luke Whitelock moved on and um, he was always going to be one of those potential um, players to fill in that captaincy role. But another hard-nosed um, forward-thinking sort of um, loose forward. Unfortunate to have lost him um, a few week, a couple of weeks before the lockdown with that mm. horrendous injury. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up Shannon Frizzell because like he, he's an all-black guy but I don't know, he, he hasn't been that good this season. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at the Highlanders. They've got some stats here. They're coming last in uh, carry, carrying metres. And I think they're running too lateral. So I, I'm not going to put that too much on, on Frizzell. They, they're trying to play with all this width and all the rest of it. But they're also last in carries. And I think they're looking at Frizzell. He's supposed to be their ball carrier. He's supposed to be the guy who gets them on the front foot. And I'm not sure that he's, he's done it or they haven't given him enough chances to do it. I mean... Sort of a mix of both, but he's nowhere near than the player he was when he was on the All Blacks. So, I mean, if I was to pick an All Black team now, I probably wouldn't pick him. I mean, mm. I think yeah. Frizzell will always be in the fringes. I think he's always going to be there in the in the conversations. But yeah, he 
whether he would be uh, a first pick, I'm not sure. But I think a guy that they really, New Zealand, not only New Zealand rugby, but definitely Highlanders would have um, lost out on was um, the like of Jackson Himmelpool, who was just sort of, you know, making headways in the All Blacks. Um, but then he chose to take up a contract in Japan. Whether he comes back into the fold for next year, because I hear Japanese rugby's all but um, not going ahead this year. So it'll be interesting to see what what his movement is for next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- I think with um, with um, Hemopo because they they lost uh, Putty Putty Parkinson. He got injured for long parts of the se- the season, mm-hmm. and Josh Dixon another guy who's been injured and Jack Whedon as well so you know they've had locking issues and that Humupo leaving that that makes it you know yeah. far worse so I've got some more stats here that the Highlanders are 13th in lineouts one so they're they're having massive lineout issues and what you talked about with Humupo leaving and the locking is a big part of that so yeah I agree with that call mm. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you guys, because they, they run dead last by, by quite a significant margin at the New Zealand uh, conference. So what are you guys' thoughts on Aaron Major? Who's the coach there? GB, um, would you be... I don't think, I don't think they'll be pushing the panic button anytime soon because when you look at Aaron Major, this is his first time sort of taking charge. Um, but because, um, yeah, he... I think he's just finding his, his way in Super Rugby. He's done a lot of assistance roles. But I think uh, with Tony Brown there as well. Is Tony Brown there? Is Tony Brown not there? Uh, I think he was. Yeah, I think. Not, can't remember now. Or, but I, I think Aaron Majors, again, with those names that have lost uh, that they've lost in the previous year, I think... To just be a bit of time before they sort of find their way and get some better results. But at the same time, um, still, there would have been 10 more matches. So it's really hard to say how things would have uh, eventuated. Um, be interesting if they get a full season next year. I think that's where they'll get a good feel as to whether Aaron Major's got the goods to, to foot it with uh, Super Rugby coaches. <laughs> Yeah, sweet. Uh, Joy, I'll come to you next, brother, because I know you've you've um, you've got some stuff to sort through. So, uh, what, what's your final thoughts on the on the Highlanders and who's really stood out for you in terms of the players, good or bad? Um, one guy that's stood out for me has been Liam Coltman at hooker. Um, he's a real grafter, um, and he's also got a good throw on him. I like I like his throwing; it's been consistent. Um, in terms of what I think the Highlanders need to do moving forward, they need to really knuckle down on who the core group is going to be, the core group of players that they see um, week out and build around those guys. These guys like Ash Dixon, who's on, who's on the bench, uh, more often than not, standing for a starting spot. With the guys in front of them, um, you've got who else? Have you got you've got Joshuani over there in the second five. He's um, looking to get another All Black jersey under his belt. You've got the nine ten combination, which is Aaron Smith and Mitch Hunt. 
they need to really gel and uh, really direct the game moving forward. And I think Mitch Hunt needs to step up and really direct the forwards as well as the backs. Um, and they need to support the captain, you know, James James Lynch. They need to get around him and actually start producing some results by learning from these losses. You know, until they learn from the losses, they're just going to keep losing. Um, it's easy for the finger to be pointed at. I think they need to just learn from the losses, build around the core group of guys, and um, the wins will come. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that call on uh, on Mitch Hunt because um, they, they hit Joshuani, who was the he played a couple of, he played a game for the All Blacks last year, and he was the Highlanders' first five. So I thought um, I thought they had a good first five. So I'm surprised that they um, they made that change with the. Uh, with Mitch Hunt and moving him to um, and moving Ioane to twelve, so I know you got to go stuff, but if, if I know you got to go, so so what's you got any last thoughts on that before you shoot off? Um, I'd like to see Josh Ioane back in the ten jersey. I mean, that's how he made the All Blacks. I don't know what they're doing there, and um, New Zealand Super Rugby teams we tend to do that, eh? We have guys who make teams, and and their Super Rugby team plays them in a total different position. One of the guidance there from the All Blacks management for them to see him in the 12 jersey but as it baffles me why they do that yep 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 no good call um, you know I'm just looking at the Highlanders they're second in yellow cards they're coming last in offloads and last in metres carried last in run metres so I'm not sh- shocked that they're coming where they're coming but I mean you know for uh, a team that's been pretty good of, of recent years that's sort of um, it's, it's a big fall from grace even given the the guys that they've lost, so yeah, Joe. No, I know you've got some stuff to do, so I'll um, I'll let you go, brother. But thanks for your contributions, and we'll um, we'll, we'll finish off to the next round, and that's us. Looking forward to the next. Oh, Joey. Sweet. Hey, okay, brothers. Cheers, brother. Thank you, Joey. Right, what you got? Anything? Any last words you want to add on the Highlanders before we, we move on to the the last category? Yeah, I think for me, the Highlanders um, going on their recent form of uh, previous years. When was the uh, championship year? 2016, was it? Yeah, I think 2016 is correct. They are thinking about the, hot, the Canes A, that year 2016. Yep. And um, But I think um, there'll be a team, you know, that will just rebuild and just build on the experience, the inexperienced players that they have at the moment with the little few experienced players. And obviously Aaron Smith is going to be a massive part of that. Despite the captaincy going the way of James Lynch's, I think it was, it's probably so that, and Aaron Smith and just concentrate on his normal game. And he was coming off the bench as well a couple of times uh, in the earlier part of that, and with the just sort of like, you know, easing him into the beginning of Super Rugby. It was always going to be interesting with Mitch Hunt here. He was left discarded from the Crusaders and he's obviously going for a bit, of, bit more game time than it in the Highlanders. Highlanders have always had a, you know, decent squad in recent years and I think it'll be only a matter of time before they sort of come back to par with some of the other super teams. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting thought. You know, I, I know you, like you bring, we've brought up a lot of historical evidence and historically, the Highlanders have been probably the weakest New Zealand team overall. Ooh, ooh, and I see that... Uh, I disagree, I, that, I disagree. 
if, if I'm, I'm not talking about the last 10 years. I'm talking about the, the whole 25 years. I think that the Highlanders, I can't back that up with stats, but I think the Highlanders have been the weakest New Zealand team. And I think they're going to stay there for a long time. Uh, that's my final conclusion. But I, I do think Aaron Smith, I think he's tried a bit too hard, but to me he's probably been one of the standouts. And, and, and Joy brought up the front guys in the front row who have also been good, and I agree with that. Um, I'm going to pull a, a Steve Hansen move now, and we're going to finish off with by bringing in, calling in some of the subs. <laughs> so Joy's <laughs> moved off, and we'll call in eyes just for this last couple of segments, the last segment. Yeah. So the last segment we've probably gone a bit bit longer than, than I thought, but there's a lot to unpack in, in the uh, seven or eight rounds of Super Rugby. So the last the last um, topic was the, the Australia. I wanted to combine Australia and South Africa because that's not really our ex- area of expertise. So the Australia and South Africa conference. So if I pull up the uh, the overall standings, we've got the Sharks who are first, the Brumbies in second. And then we've got the Stormers and the Haguaris. Those are the only other teams in the top eight. So, uh, I'll, I'll come to you, um, Isa, if you're there. What, what are you made of the either or, the Oz or the South African Conference? Or what's your initial impressions of those two conferences and what stood up for you in, in either of those two conferences? Oh, well, thank you, brother, for uh, coming back to me, mate. Um... Thanks, thanks for putting you on the spot, <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I um I, I can honestly um say that um I think um that I don't, I don't think any of those teams there's probably one one from each um competition that they would have given the Crusaders Chiefs or the Blues a run you know a run I, I think that I agree with two of those three teams. Was, that was, that was tough that was tough for me to to, to say that but yep um I just think that. The standard of rugby, the way that we've been beating the other teams, uh, the New Zealand teams, um, I just think that we, you know, there's, there's only two teams from each comp that could have, and only one from Australia, and I think that might have been the Brumbies. Um, the Reds probably thought they, they had a heads up, you know, they, they thought they, they might have given some of our teams a run for the money, you know, for our money, but um, no, I, 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 I can honestly say that I've only watched New Zealand teams. I've only watched the Blues so I could like jump on Facebook or on our chat so I could rubbish you guys. But I haven't had uh, much chance to do that because for some reason you seem to be winning. So that's tough for me. Yep, yep. You brought up the Reds and the Reds actually, they've got the best attack. They've scored the most tries. They've scored yeah, the most points for and on the paper, the paper at least, it looks like they should be doing quite well. But they're, they're, they're sitting outside the top eight. So I agree with your your original assertion that they should be doing good, but they're not in that contender, contender category. The Brumbies that you mentioned, they're sitting second. And, I mean, they got a good win against the Chiefs, and, they, and they've, done, they've done quite well. They've unlocked... Um, a young first five there, uh, Noah Lolisil, who I think has the potential to be a Wallaby. Uh, he might, might have made it this year, but definitely next year. Um, so yeah, I think there's. I agree with a lot of what you say. Well, what about yourself, Raj? What's your what's your what's your take on the Australian conference or the South African one? I think um, the loss against the Brumbies was 
against the Chiefs was was a sort of was a was a hard pill to swallow, but also an interesting one to see, and seeing the the evolution of what the Brumbies are sort of doing over there through ACT and the players that are developing coming through as well with um, Ali Fano leaving after last year and the introduction of players that you've mentioned, Lucille, um, and also um, it was the flanker that I bought in Rocky Soliola that uh, acquired me some... Valentini. Valentini. Yeah. Yes, yes. So you got some, you know, good young signings and whether that's good enough to bring the Brumbies back to, you know, where they were in former glory back in the Gregan Day era um, and winning a championship um, could probably give them good stead moving towards that. But I don't think they'll be in contention. But again, Brumbies are a bit of a dark horse. Didn't see them beating the, the Chiefs that year, uh, that game, but they did. And so, and it was just one of those off games for the Chiefs, I believe, but that was to the Brumbies' credit and, and capitalising on them real quickly, as well as starving them with the ball and defending well. Yeah, I've got, I've got this sort of a random theory about the importance of first five. So the Blues have not lost a game since Teddy Black has started. The Crusaders, they've lost one game. And the one game that they lost was when... Moonga didn't play. Havili played first five when they played against the Chiefs, and mm. the Sharks, the Sharks who were top of the table, they've only lost that one game. Was when uh, Kuo and Bosch, their first five, was on a bereavement leave. So I've got the theory that if you don't have a gun first five, that you have no chance of winning Super Rugby. And if I look at the Australian Conference, right? So you talked about Lealifano, who was the Brumbies' first five. He's left. Uh, mm. Quake Cooper who was the first five at the uh, the Rebels. He's left. Um, what's his name? Bernard Foley at the Waratahs. He's left. So all the basically all the Australian first fives, the gun first fives, have all left. So I think that none of the Australian teams have a chance of winning. Even though the Brumbies are, if I look at the table, the Brumbies are second in the table. Just for that reason, I think that if you don't have a good first five, you can't win. And that's also come from the perspective of a blue supporter, where mm. we've only had one great first five in our whole 25-year history, which is Carlos Spencer, and he was the only one who, we've only ever won titles and made the finals when he was there. And since he's left, we've been Gaia, we've ever heard Gaia first five, so I think and, and yeah, Stacey, probably to be, fair, to be fair, yeah, with that theory you're subscribing to, it's probably fair to say that you're probably one of the few franchises that are going to reach back to the whole 25-year history um, in terms of maintaining that successful rate that you had with three championships, right? Whereas, right. you know, not other... Well, the Chiefs in terms won't be looking back that far because we didn't have a great uh, run in, in the 90s. It wasn't until... Yeah, but, but, you, but you were also... The Chiefs were guy in the 90s. The Chiefs won when Creden was there and he's the world-class whoa, 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 So that's why I put whoa, whoa. the Chiefs... Oh, I'm put, just I saying, yes. Yeah. I put the Chiefs in the, in the category of... It, ha- it pays me to say this. I put them in the contenders category because Cruden And he showed that game... Especially the game against the Blues where he came on at halftime and he yeah. won... I thought he won it by himself, but he was... Um, Did you notice that he was bringing a blindfold? If you, if you have an elite well? first five, then, um, you know, you, you can win. So I felt like... The Chiefs with Cruden are contenders. Right, boys. I'm. Um, I don't want to. I'm aware of the time, so I mean, I feel like we we've got more podcasts to come, 
and you guys have brought us some good subjects for future podcast topics. But we'll finish this one off now, right? So, uh, uh, okay, Rog, Rog, I'll come to you first. What's, what's been your um, what, what, what's your final <clears throat> takings from the overall Super Rugby season? And um, you know, any, any your final thoughts and final words before we we close up? I think for me, it was just said it was. Um, Looking forward to the season to kick off, and you know we had the best part of six, seven weeks, uh, six, seven rounds. So, and it was exciting rugby in general uh, for most teams. Obviously, it's a hard one to gauge as to what the final standings could be or will be if uh, we do have uh, a resumption of play. I think, um, like any like any season, after a good summer, you're looking forward to some good rugby and. It's unfortunate that uh, things have turned out the way they have, but um, New Zealand's not short of any exciting talent, um, as we've seen. So, But I do look forward to the direction where New Zealand rugby or world rugby sort of look to as to um, how they will move forward um, post the lockdown and coronavirus. So exciting times, uh, but uh, stay in your bubble. Stay home, nice. stay vibes. I was worried about yourself, man. What's your final thoughts on the... the the half season we had, and you know, just in general, before we close up. I, I well, I can't add anything else, like um, because you know, because Jolly was was here, on, but I I just think that um, this whole season, like, it's, it's been it's been crazy. So, um, I think um, since we've had the Rocky Soliola Cup, and we've um, been been watching a lot of um, a, like a lot of Super Rugby, it's been good, and um, it's it's been exciting to be to, to watch it, but. Just you know, just shattered that we've we've had to um, you know we're doing a podcast on 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 a season that what could have been like. Hopefully you know um, with with, um, with upcoming weeks you know um, if if we can get it started again you know um, awesome. But um, but yeah, it was just tough for me to to see the Blues at the top of the table. You know. Oh, nice, nice. Just for myself, you know, I just want to, um, one thing that's really stood out for me, just the new kids that came through, I know you guys touched on it before, that open side for the, the Crusaders, who's just come out of nowhere, uh, his name escapes me, he's been really good, there's the Christy. guy Hoskins, yeah, 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 that's one, Tom Christie, Christy. uh, Hoskins to Tutu, Mark Talia. you know, I thought at the end of a World Cup, what you see is a mass exodus of players leaving Super Rugby. And we've lost some great players. South Africa's lost some great players. I mentioned, we've talked about Australia, but, you know, there's so much new kids coming through. And that's one thing that's really stood out to me. And, you know, after that World Cup, there's a sort of an evenness, even though the Crusaders are the top of the table again, I feel like there is an evenness and a chance to sort of, um, you know, re- reset the competition a little bit. But I'm just, man, I'm glad you got, you guys brought up some really good points, which I think could, uh, be some future podcasts, so I'm grateful for that. And uh, I just want to say um, to all the listeners out there, thanks for listening. Stay safe. You know, as uh, Rog, Rog and the boys they mentioned earlier, I know you know for the for the diehard rugby fanatics, it's, it's been hard with no rugby. And um, you know, so thanks to the boys on all the panel today, um, Joey, Rog, Ice jumping in late. For, for stepping up to try to fill that void and hopefully we can keep the the rugby podcast going as well because I know like you guys brought up some really good subjects which I could think could be some uh, some future uh, podcast topics so um, you know through these tough times and um, you know everyone just stay safe in your bubble cheers boys thanks for everything good stuff alright take care the Blues last one in 2003 far.
Ahora que le quise la Oh, sorry, sorry. Watch out. <laughs> 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 I was just gonna do this shit about the sheep. Oh, boys. Let's go, boys. Let